Jesse Kelly show. Let's have some fun with some gigantic stories out there today. Oh, it's going to be such a fun night. We have a committee hearing. We have a an investigation into what happened on January 6th. I'll explain exactly what this whole fiasco is all about. That's one, two. The CDC. Joe Biden saying some things that appear to be shocking some people about coronavirus. I'll explain why you shouldn't be shocked at all. And finally, Simone Biles quits in the middle of a competition. It's all the news today. Everyone has a strong opinion. She's the devil incarnate, worthless quitter, or don't you dare talk about Simone Biles. She's a saint and you don't understand mental health. I have strong opinions that will be guaranteed to offend everyone, and all that is coming on the Jesse Kelly Show. But first and foremost, before we address the committee hearing or Simone Biles or the CDC or something, you and I are going to have a very frank talk about something that has happened in this country, when it happened, why it happened, and why it matters. You see, there was this committee hearing today where all these uh, cops, all these Capitol Police cops and people, they all stepped up in front of the microphone and went whining about January 6th and the worst day ever and I haven't slept and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to set all them aside for just a moment because we're not really talking about the hearing right now. We're going to talk about something I saw today. Adam Kinzinger, he's a congressman. He's a useless one, one of the Republicans that's always with Democrats now. In fact, we're having his primary opponent on the show on Thursday night. Just a quick side note, but Adam Kinzinger, he gets up. It's his turn to do some of the questioning and do some talking. You know, this is a political moment to speechify, and this is what happened. You know, you talk about the impact of that day, but you guys won you guys help. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined <laughs> by how we Okay. All right. I've got to talk about this. Let's set aside all the ridiculous things he, he says and, and whatnot. Believe me, we will get to that. We'll address this ridiculous hearing stuff and the things that happened there. You and I focus on different things, macro issues, big picture stuff on the show. When did men in this country, when did they decide that not only should you cry all the time, you should cry in public and be proud of it? He cried like that on purpose. He knew he was on national television and a man sat down knowing he was on national television and did this on purpose. You know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys helped. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. Oh, gosh, turn it off, Chris. I can feel my testosterone levels dropping. Now, I'm being dead serious here because I'm not just singling out Adam Kinzinger and I'm not just making fun of him. Although, yes, I'm absolutely making fun of him. Let me be clear on that. It's not that. This is what has happened in the United States of America. And let's just unpack when I think it happened. It's guaranteed to offend everybody. We are now a society 
where people want more than anything else to prove how broken they are, how much they are worthy of sympathy, how much they are victims. And we're no longer the society we used to be. We're no longer the society where people thought the highest achievement was competition and success and go win. That was always America, that free market, free spirit thing. And I'll tell you what happened to us. And I understand everyone will get mad at me. What happened to us was men stopped leading this society and women started. Men, because of, I don't know, left the church, left their spine at home, if I'm being nice. Men decided to get weak and hand the reins of this nation over to women. And now, so much of what you see now is a result of a country run by women. We are an effeminate nation now. We are. We are an effeminate nation now. And look, I'm not even one of these guys. I'm not some barbarian. I've cried in my life. Granted, not a ton. I'm way too emotionally scarred for that. But I'm not one of these guys never cry. Dude, you're a dude. It's fine. Cry when your dog dies. Cry when you watch Rudy. You're, you're allowed to cry. I get it. I get it. I'm not one of those guys. But even when you cry when you watch Rudy, don't you kind of look away from the old lady and rub that tear out of your eye on the side and pray she doesn't notice? When did we become a nation where broadcasting our softness is now thought of as a badge of honor? As a badge of honor. This, this, is, this is how sad I am. This is what I'm a victim of. This is the hardship I've gone through. Worship me. Love me. It's become the highest calling of the United States of America. And when you see it, which you see it now because I'm describing it to you and you probably already felt it anyway, it's shocking to watch. People want to be victims. Everyone does. Look, we'll get to the Simone Biles story a little later on in the show. Simone Biles, greatest gymnast of all time. Uh, We're in the middle of a competition with Russia. Simone Biles just quits. And today, it gives a bunch of press conferences talking about mental health this and mental health that. And today, you know what I see? I've seen an entire nation of people saying, oh, yes, mental health. Don't you dare criticize that she has mental health. Get her on a poster, mental health. She just didn't feel like it. Her mental health. Don't you understand her mental health? I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's the Olympics. Go compete and win. That's what you do. You're a congressman. You're a man at a congressional hearing. Ask questions like a man. But not only did he break down and cry, that would be one thing. Okay, maybe you're just generally soft. I get that. There's nothing you can really do about that, or not much, I should say. It's, it would be one thing that he just broke down and cried, He did it on purpose. He wanted you to see him crying. What does it say about us as a country if grown men want you to see them crying? They want you to see them crying. When did that become a thing? When did advertising everything that hurts your feel-feels become a thing? I know you see it all over social media, all over the place. I lost my grandpa today. Say a prayer for my dog. My dog is sick. You know, my anxiety is crippling today. I can't go on any longer. 
when did we decide we had to advertise this to everybody? And I'm not telling you don't talk to anyone about your problems. I, 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 that's, I, I'm not one of those guys. You need help, go get help. You need to talk to someone, go talk to someone. But we've become a country that thinks problems are the badge of honor instead of success. That's what we are. Instead of competition, winning, succeeding, toughness, going forward, that being the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal now is to be a victim of something. We've had this talk before about guys like uh, uh, LeBron James is a great example. I believe he's now officially the first billionaire NBA player in history. Had a horrible upbringing. Didn't know his father. Sounds like his mom was a bit of a grease fire. I'm not bad talking her, but it was just a really rough childhood. And rose to be this megastar. This mega success. The first billionaire internationally known. One of the top five famous people on the planet. What could be a better rags to riches story? And what's LeBron James do? Promptly does a race hoax on himself. So he can be a victim of something. Because he hadn't achieved his ultimate goal. Because we as a culture have shifted our ultimate goals. Our culture used to be a male-run culture that focused on success and competition and toughness and hardness and winning. Now, everyone wants to vomit their feelings everywhere at all times. That's considered success. I'm starting to understand exactly why we handled COVID the way we did. I'll explain in a second. Hang on. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies. Are not defined. (laughs) It is the Jesse Kelly show. That was, of course, Adam Kinzinger forcing himself to cry in front of the nation on national television. And I said, I said at last segment, I understand people are mad. I don't care. It's because we are a nation now. Instead of being run by strong men, we are run by women. We are a nation now. We place ultimate value on vomiting out your emotions at all times. We think that's some kind of success. I, I Look, I knew it. I knew it the second coronavirus hit. I'll never get over this. And then I'll get on. I'll get back to this January 6th hearing. We'll talk about Simone Biles. We'll talk about the CDC stuff. I'll never get over the coronavirus panic that spread like wildfire. Like wildfire, run home, hide, make sure you get Timmy. When did we come? A t- when did we become a timid nation? When did we become afraid of everything underneath the sun? When did men become comfortable weeping on television? I'll tell you, it's been years and years and years. Anti-bullying programs in school because, you know, mom didn't want little Aiden, Jaden, and Braden to get bullied in school. Okay, well, Aiden, Braden, or Jaden need to ball up their fist and punch someone in the face. That's how you stop bullies for real. That's the ugly side of life. That's how you stop bullies. But no, go tell the teacher, son. Make sure you tell the teacher how damaged you are. This is what we've created. And I know where it's from. It's from the post-World War II thing. I've, I've done a ton of reading on this. Post-World War II, generations of American men came home and 
understandably were just torn up inside, torn to shreds inside, and had seen things that other people really had never seen. I mean, just horrific things. When you're walking around in a field of body parts of your friends, you don't come back to the farm in Iowa and explain that to mom in a way she can understand. And so these men came back, and they started families, and they simply didn't communicate with their kids. They didn't talk about the horrors of life. They didn't talk about this, and we slowly but surely became a society that was raised only by women. Not dad, only by women. So there's no longer a dad telling you, get up, get back on your bike. That's not even a lot of blood. Go ride. Now there's only mom. Oh, Aiden, are you okay? Come on, let's put you inside for nine weeks to make sure you never get hurt again or even get a mosquito bite. And that's how you get a society that runs home and panics when we get coronavirus. And the most pathetic thing is, There were no national leaders, and I don't care how mad this makes people, Donald Trump included, there were no national leaders who stepped up when that hit right away, not two weeks after, not a month after, right away and said, I understand this is a disease. I understand you're scared. And I'm here to tell you right now, people are going to die. We are going to mobilize everything we can do to stop those deaths from happening. However, hear me now. We are a $20 trillion economy. This is a country of 330 million people. We're not stopping a daggone thing because people got sick. We will deal with it on the way. You know why we're not stopping anything? Because that would be insane and has the potential to bring down this nation. So no, we're not locking down. Get up and go back to work. Wash your hands on the way. Not one Republican in the country, stepped up and said that. Forget the communists, not one Republican. And you know why they didn't? Every single time I press one of my friends in Congress or Senate in person, why they don't do it, you know what every one of them says to me, to a man? If it sounds like I'm fired up tonight, I am. You know what everyone says to me? To a man. Well, we have to worry about the woman vote. Yeah, I mean, I would look, look, I'll be honest, Jesse, this is verbatim from a congressman friend of mine when I was railing against the lockdowns on day one. Texts me back and forth. Hey, Jesse, I just wanted to tell you privately, I agree. This is a really bad idea. But in my district, 60% of the women, they vote Democrat, and they're really scared right now. So we, we have to provide solutions so they can feel safe. Okay, if we're going to run a nation so suburban soccer moms and their little sons, Aiden, Braden, and Jaden, and Bryson, feel safe— then we're going to not have a nation very much longer anymore. We're going to be a nation that has been conquered. And don't you dare make that mistake that people make all the time where they think about this country as being in a different age. And we don't live in that era anymore. Eras don't change. The era of conquest is forever. Weak nations get defeated by strong nations. Why do you think you have the United States of America? Because the Indians, Native Americans, whatever you want to call the various tribes who were here, were too weak to stop it. That's why. That's why Gaul isn't Gaul anymore. It's called France because Caesar stormed in there and the tribes who were there were too weak to stop him. That's why Australia isn't run by Aborigines anymore because the tribal peoples there were too weak to stop them. Nations who are weak 
get gobbled up by nations that are strong. That's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's an inevitable thing. And we have become a nation of soft, spineless, you know what? I better not say that word on national radio. We become soft. We got too rich, too fat, too bored, too decadent, and we've become soft. And now... We're so soft. We're, we're past the initial softness stage. Now we're so soft, we celebrate being soft. Now that's what people aspire to be. Because this is what happens now. In this society, people are so used to holding up shields to defend themselves, so used to having this shield that can insulate them from criticism, and at the same time they're so scared of criticism that now instead of focusing on success and winning and doing all that, they focus on making sure their shield is intact. You see this a lot with the Simone Biles stuff today. You see it all the time. Well, she's been abused in the past. Don't, don't criticize her. She's been abused. Don't criticize her, her mental health, her mental health problems. You see it all over politics. Remember when they brought out the cons at the Democrat convention, the gold star parents who lost their son in combat, and they stood up there and just threw bombs at Trump the whole time? Well, don't criticize the cons. They have that shield. Oh, my gosh, their son their son died in combat. You can't criticize the cons. Over and over, you can't criticize me because I'm a woman. You can't criticize me because I'm black. You can't criticize me because this happened to me or that happened to me. And what we've got now is a society of people looking around for excuses. I need an excuse why I can screw something up or do something wrong to make sure I'm never in trouble. You know what? I'll point at my own community, too. Veterans do this all the time, too. You can't say that to me. I'm a veteran. Oh, shut up. Buck up, buttercup. Yes, they can. All right, I'm going to try to calm down a little bit and address this hearing thing next. There you go. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. Chris plays songs that will fire me up when I'm too fired up because he wants to see how long I'll keep it going. I try not to yell. As you know, I try not to yell and scream and stress you out. I try not to. But I cannot take this nation of weaklings we've become. And why? Because what it's doing is it's telling your kids and my kids, everything they see when they look around, everything they see, it's telling them, don't forge ahead. Don't, don't, don't just succeed at all costs. Don't compete. Don't win. Just come up with an excuse why you can't. Oh, uh, Daddy, uh, I have this. I have this algebra teacher, and she's really mean to me. Because I've had, I've had to have this conversation with my sons. Okay, so your teacher's a witch. Go get through it. You think that's the last boss you're gonna have? Suck it up. Oh, but that's all you see now is a society of shields, a society of you can't criticize me because blank shields. I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of this performative femininity out of our men at a national stage. Did you see this Capitol Police officer? Did you see what this loser had to say? Chris, play this. When I was 25 years old and then a sergeant in the Army, I had deployed to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. From time to time, I volunteered to travel on IED-infested roles to conduct supply missions for U.S. and Allied forces and local Iraqi population as well. But on January 6th, for the first time, I was more afraid to work at the Capitol than my entire deployment to Iraq. 
shut up, you lying loser. All that means is you never left the base in Iraq. All that means is you deployed and sat in the air conditioning and stuffed your face with honey buns while the rest of us were out there fighting. More scared because Meemaw wanders into the Capitol building on January 6th. Get out of here with that, you dork. And that's the, by the way, that's the Capitol Police. Those are the people who are tasked with defending our congressmen and senators. If these are the people tasked with defending our congressmen and senators, my goodness, these people are more dangerous than I thought. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. (laughs) Even with the table slap thrown in, I went to hell and back. No, you didn't, dork. And by the way, I'm not showing you. I want to be clear to every Capitol Police officer who testified something like this today because I know some of you are listening. I'm not indifferent to your plight. I'm actively mocking you to your face. I'm the furthest thing in the world away from indifferent. I think you're pathetic, and I think it's embarrassing. Whether you're left or right, whatever, I think we all know what they are. Whether you're left, right, or not, I think it's embarrassing that you as a man think that is something you should display on national television. I think you should be embarrassed. Oh, and by the way, with the first guy, did you catch the shield? Did you catch the shield he created for himself? Remember, I said it happens all the time. Left, right, center. Everyone does it. Listen again. See if you can catch his shield. When I was 25 years old and then a sergeant in the Army, I had deployed to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. From time to time, I volunteered to travel on IED-infested roles to conduct supply missions. That's enough. That's enough. You, you catch the shield? You can't. Whatever he follows this with... You can't possibly criticize it, right? He is a veteran. He was on IED-infested roads. Are you questioning his motivations or his truth or his bravery? You can't do that because he is a veteran. He's the saintly veteran you can't criticize. Get out of here with that garbage, too. I do not acknowledge your shield. I do not acknowledge it ever. I don't care how sensitive it is. I said it about Simone Biles today. Quitting on your team mid-competition is pathetic. If you quit because you're mentally not in a place where you should be doing gymnastics, and as you know, my wife is a, was a high-level gymnast, so she's told me today, hey, you can get in a place mentally where you can hurt yourself bad, and I acknowledge that. You want to quit after the competition or maybe during the individual competition? Fine. You wore a uniform that had a goat on it, standing for greatest of all time, and walked out on your team in the middle of the competition, and now I have people, tons of people on the right saying to me, Jesse, you don't understand. She's an abuse survivor. You don't understand. I understand she's an abuse survivor. Throw Larry Nasser in a wood wood chipper in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for all I care. I've said I don't want men in charge of these women's sports anymore because I want women protected. I get all that. That doesn't get to be your shield either for running out on your teammates when the chips were down. Speaking of which, it's going to be a heck of a show tonight. It might be our last night on the air. I have a personal story. Speaking of running out on somebody when the chips are down, You're going to want to stay tuned to this show about one hour from now. As soon as I'm done with the guest in the second hour, one hour from now, I am going to tell you 
who Mike Pence really is. Not from some outside observer standpoint. I'm talking about Mike Pence and I face to face. Just keep that in the back of your mind. You're going to want to be here one hour from now. All right. It's enough of lecturing America. Let's get to what's actually going on today. Let's get to what's actually going on. They had all these Capitol Police officers up there. You had, of course, Kinzinger and Adam Schiff all crying up there. Here's what happened today. What happened today was simply another step in the effort to make you out to be an enemy of the state. Remember this. Always remember this. The communist doesn't care about January 6th. Not at all. They don't care about the Capitol building, actually. They may care about their own personal well-being, but they don't care about the Capitol building. They don't care about any loss of life. Not on either side either, I should point out. They don't care if their colleagues die. They don't care if their enemies die. The communist doesn't think in those, in those terms. You think in those terms. I think in those terms. The communist only cares about power, destroying power and gaining power, destroying everything he possibly can so he can take ultimate control of everything and create the utopia he believes will finally achieve heaven here on earth. That's what the communist believes. They don't care about January 6th. Anytime you even hear January 6th brought up, it's only in the context of this. Them preparing to make an enemy of the FBI, of the DOJ, out of you. You see, I said this all the time when Barack Obama was president of the United States, and it applies twice as much today. Let's, re- let's just make it about Obama for a quick second, even though I realize that's odd. He's long gone. I said repeatedly when Obama was president, with all his America-hating garbage, if you were to hold a gun to Obama's head and tell him you have to drop a nuclear bomb on one city in the world, any city you want, but you must nuke that city from orbit, Barack Obama would have chosen one within the borders of the United States of America. He would have, 100%. Joe Biden would too. So would Nancy Pelosi, Ilhan Omar, AOC, pick your Democrat. To these people, the enemy is not inflation. The enemy is not the debt. The enemy is not the wide open southern border. The enemy is not China, who has thousands of spies in our shores. They own tons of our economy. They own tons of our debt. Their economy is as big as ours, and their military is as big as ours. And China has it written down on paper. Their intention is to destroy us, to take us down a peg so they can take over the world. And yet half this country, the leaders of all your cultural institutions, actually, it goes way beyond politics, they think the enemy is you. Not China, you. Democrats think you're the enemy. Half the Republicans think you're the enemy. The Federal Bureau of Investigation thinks you're the enemy. The DOJ, athletes, actors, entertainers, half the pastors, every professor, they think the enemy is you. That's how serious our situation is. Now you understand why I'm mad about us being soft. I'm not done yet. Hang on. Truth. Attitude. Jesse Kelly. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, and remember, 
If you miss any part of the show, the whole show is available on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave a review talking about how handsome I am. What, Chris? What? We do have more reviews. I'll be reading them later on the show, especially the ones that talk about how handsome I am. I don't understand why that's a big deal. Oh, speaking of the podcast, I did get this email. Remember, you can email the show anything you want. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. All your emails go right to Chris. He prints them out for me. I read them all. I will not respond. I get way too many, but I read them all. We got this one. Is there an audio arc or or is there an audio archive of your terrible airport bathroom experience? I heard your story on the drive home from work and wanted to share it with my wife. Too funny. I think, if I remember right, I think I shared that on our first week on the air after the show went super mega national, didn't I, Chris? I don't remember what week that was. Dang. I'll tell you what. I'll I'll, I'll get somebody at this gigantic radio company to look into that and find it for you. Just hang tough on that. I'll try to find the airport bathroom story, but I'll say this. You're a bad person for seeking that out just to exploit my pain. <laughs> Speaking of pain, we have another one of these Capitol Police officers. I mean, it was a it was a dark day. And when you hear the rioters chanting things in this video, things like F the blue, you can't even call yourself an American, you're on the wrong side of freedom, can, can you share how that makes you feel? Uh, even the things that were being said did not resonate uh, in the midst of that chaos. Um, but what did resonate was the fact that thousands of Americans were attacking police officers uh, who were simply there doing their job. Can you share how that makes you feel? Why do I give a crap how it makes him feel? Why do I care about your feelings at all? Why have we, when did this happen in the country when we decided feelings were currency? And you see this all the time now. I know you do. Oh, you should, you should stop saying this. Oh, okay, why? It makes me upset. Oh, I don't care. No, it makes me really upset. Yeah, but I still don't care. But I'm really, really, really upset. People now, they've become so used to their emotional outrage becoming currency, they think it's currency with everyone else. Can you tell me how the protest made you feel? I don't care how it made him feel. Tell me the facts. What happened? There are 40,000 hours of unreleased videotape of what happened inside the Capitol. 40,000 hours. I don't care how you feel. Show me the tape. Your feelings couldn't possibly matter less to me. And I understand that makes me sound like a cold-hearted jerk, but I am a cold-hearted jerk, and I've never pretended pretended to be otherwise. It used to drive me nuts. I used to see this in uh, construction, Marine Corps, selling RVs. You get some guy coming into work. Uh, What's wrong, buddy? He's sitting there crying. Oh, my girlfriend. Just ran out on me. Okay, well, go cry in the car. Come back inside and work when you're ready to work. Don't come and cry at work. I don't care about how you feel. Yeah. Hey. Look, maybe I am being too harsh today. But if I'm being too harsh, it's because I understand this. This entire trial today, Capitol Police officers, Adam Kinzinger crying, all that stuff, it was written like a Hollywood movie. I guarantee it. 
Now, I'm sure they've destroyed the transcripts of it by now. They had these guys reading off of pieces of paper. All those heartfelt Capitol Police officers telling you how they feel. They were reading it all off of pieces of paper. This gigantic thing was a huge play. A a huge play so the National Democratic Party can continue to get their friends at the FBI, ATF, and otherwise to aim their sights on you. That's all this is. And you see it happening time after time after time now. I mean, we read it to you yesterday, all the big tech companies, as you know, Facebook, all of them, and PayPal and all these guys, they're out there going after people who hold extremist views. Let me ask you a very frank question. We've done this experiment before on the show. Let's do it again. During the break, I want you to take a minute. I want you to go look at your last 10 tweets, your last 10 Facebook posts. Do you think any of these cultural Marxists would consider any of those to be extreme? Have you said anything about the new CDC mask guidelines, which we're going to get to in a minute? Have you said anything about vaccination, unvaccination? What are your thoughts on owning a weapon? I mean... They're being pretty frank about what they think. Why Facebook specifically? Have you guys talked to other platforms? It's not just Facebook. Every social media platform has a responsibility here, and they could all probably be doing more to crack down on misinformation. Also, it's not just social media platforms. It is also personalities on television. It is also elected officials, unfortunately. Personalities on television. Uh Uh-oh. I'm sure my show is included on that list with the things I say. It's on the first TV every single night, 9 p.m. Eastern. They don't look at the censorship happening right now. The the censorship, censorship that you're horrified by, they don't look at it right now and say to themselves, oh, you know, that's probably a little too far. That was probably a step too far. I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. They look at it and all they, all they see is all the people they haven't censored yet. All that, quote, misinformation that's out there. They're all weaponized against you. Let me ask you a very frank question. You don't have to answer it, but I want you to think about something. In the mind of the Democratic Party, who's a bigger enemy, the right or China? Okay, set that aside. In the mind of the FBI, who do you think's a bigger enemy? The right or China? Department of Justice, bigger enemy, the right or China? Facebook, the headquarters, leadership at Facebook. Do you think the leadership at Facebook is more worried about China or you? Hollywood, the people who make those movies you and your kids go see. Do you think they're more worried about China or you? Are you starting to understand where we're at now? That's why I'm so hard on the right and why I think we need to buck up big time. I'm going to cover this when all this feminization of society started. I'll cover it again real quick, and then let's dig into the CDC stuff. Hang on. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. We are about 40 minutes away from my story about Mike Pence and I and leaving a man behind. No, this is not a Trump story. This is not a recent story. You want to know why I get so passionate about leaving a man behind? Well, I have my own stories there as well. 
But first, back to what I was talking about. We have become a nation soft and feminine. We are soft and feminine. Nobody wants to take a sober look at reality ever. And it wasn't just during coronavirus. Remember remember when St. George Floyd died? And immediately the nation just gets whipped up into a friendly about a frenzy about police violence and these racist cops hunting down black men and oh my goodness. And we had the FBI statistics saying the cops had actually shot more unarmed white people the year before than they had black people significantly more. There was not a single piece of statistical evidence that pointed to that. And not one person, not one elected person, I should say, because I was saying it, but not one elected person on the right or the left in the very beginning of that had the guts to step up and say, um, okay, I fully acknowledge there are some problems in the urban black community, but the cops aren't one of them. This is ridiculous. I have numbers here proving it. I have real statistics. But you can't do that anymore. Everything has to be emotion and hysteria and the end of the world. And don't you see how sad I am? Don't you see how mad I am? Don't you see? Everything is all this emotional currency at all times. So nobody can make a solid decision ever. Oh my gosh, we, we, we shut down the economy because Aiden might die from coronavirus. Okay, lady, well, uh, what are we supposed to do now? We just shut down the economy. Little Bryson is safe, but uh, what are we supposed to do about this person who has to go to work or they can't pay the rent? Oh, uh, 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 I know. We'll just stop people from getting evicted. Oh, okay. Well, that seems uh, seems like a potential financial disaster. What do we do about the, the landlord who needs the money from the renters? Otherwise, otherwise we're going to have a crisis with the landlords. Uh, let's pay that money, too. Okay, well, this is all um, this is starting to cost a lot, but okay, we can. I guess we can continue for for a little bit. But people are running out of money really fast. What what would you suggest? Let's just print trillions and hand out stimulus checks to everybody. Did any of this seem like a reasonable response? But no, we didn't do any of that. Where we didn't do anything reasonable. We did everything a fat bored, decadent nation on the decline would do. We panicked. We threw money we didn't have at the problem. Now we find ourselves sinking to the bottom of the lake, and all we're doing is taking on more water and sinking faster and faster and faster. Why? Nobody wants to do and say the hard things anymore. Nobody. How often have you heard me going off lately about uh, women on naval vessels? I always bring this up because the most amazing thing about it is every single person to a man, the men and the women within the Navy say the same thing. To a man, they say women on these naval vessels has been a disaster, a disaster. So this is something that is universally known. I mean, it is like the sky is blue of, of, naval, of naval rumor. Everyone knows it. Not one elected official in the United States of America will bring it up. Why? What did I tell you earlier? To a man, when I was protesting against coronavirus lockdown and these congressmen and senators were texting me, to a man, eventually they would get to bringing up, well, you got to understand, Jesse, you've never been sensitive enough to the woman vote. We got to get the woman vote. They have to see us do something. They want to see us. We've got to get the women vote. Buddy, 
If we're going to let panicky suburban moms determine the direction of the nation, let's just hand the daggone keys to China now and get the thing over with. Men have got to step up and take leadership again. We can't have we can't have people being comfortable doing this on national television because it actually earns them brownie points. You know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined. Good grief. You know what? Let's get to let's get to a, some emails and some podcast reviews. It's time to brighten this show up a little bit. This email I thought was special. I told a story yesterday about a time we had to fix bayonets in Iraq. Don't worry, you can listen with the kids. I didn't stab anybody with the thing. It's, it was just a cool little story that apparently people loved. So that's on yesterday's show, iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. That's where the podcasts are. Well, off of that story, somebody wrote in this story. And you have to understand, as I explained yesterday, and if this sounds different than the subject we were just on, it's because it is. Sometimes I just change subjects in the, in the middle of something, and I give you no explanation. Stabbing somebody, the closer you are to someone when you kill or hurt them, it affects you psychologically more. And we were just discussing combat and different things yesterday. But this one I thought was really, really, really cool. Good morning, doctor. It's a little long, so bear with me a moment. Good morning, doctor. Like any sane person, I enjoy your history talks and your Medal of Honor Mondays. Your story from yesterday about the difference of using bayonets reminded me of my uncle Lewis Reed's time in Baton. Baton is, I realize I should probably clarify this for everybody. We had control of the Philippines prior to World War II. It was ours. We had military bases over there. It was ours. Now, it wasn't really our country, but kind of. It's a long story. But either way, we were very close friends with them. Very, very close. We got along well, military bases and everything. And we kind of had just garrison troops on the, in the Philippines because it was not a combat zone. Now, I don't want to make them out to be a bunch of soft Nancys, but they certainly weren't frontline combat troops. It was considered cushy duty. It was considered a place you go over to the Philippines and you go over there for the beer and the women. That's, that's just what it was. It was a party place. It was a party base. And all of a sudden, Japan rises like a storm and the world finds out that this tiny island nation at a time when Asians were not respected, especially by the West. Remember remember this as a quick side note. Everybody's prejudice. Every single person. Prejudice about something. Maybe it's white people, black people, Mexicans, Asians. Maybe about tall people, short people, fat people, redheads. I, I don't know. Everyone holds prejudice in their heart. It's just it's human nature. They were just more honest about it back then. So the United States of America and most of the West, they looked down on Japan because they're a bunch of Asians, and they didn't think Asians could do anything militarily. I know we think that's stupid now in hindsight, but back then it made sense to them. So Japan rises like a storm. The world doesn't see it coming, and they just sweep through Asia, and they storm into the Philippines. Now, America, at least at first, Kind of thought we'd be able to hold them off. I mean, after all, they're Asian, right? Shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, the Japanese were tough as nails. And what happened was all these garrison troops, again, not frontline combat troops, garrison troops, they were stuck there trying to fight the Japanese. And this is the Philippines. Pull out a map. It's not Nebraska. You can't get there very easily. So not only are they stuck, 
There's no help on the way, and the Japanese Navy was so good, we couldn't have gotten help to them even if we wanted to. So what happened is they ended up ended up on a peninsula. As they basically tactically retreated out of the Philippines, they ended up uh, on a peninsula. And that's where they basically starved to death in the jungle as the Japanese were assaulting them. The disease was ravaging these guys. And then it was supposed to be some of the most brutal jungle fighting in the world. The guys, if you ever see pictures of them before the Bataan Death March, before the Bataan Death March, these guys look like skeletons. They just look like hollowed up. Their uniforms are hanging off them in tatters. They almost look like, and I hate to use this comparison because you really shouldn't compare anything to it. They almost look like the people we found in the Holocaust. They look that bad. There's just no... They were eating monkeys when they'd find them. They'd eat anything they could find in the woods. That's how much they were starving to death. So they started the Bataan Death March in that condition. That and obviously the abuse from the Japanese soldiers, which was horrendous in World War II, and the heat, that is a big reason why so many people died on the Bataan Death March. Now, I told you all that so you'd have a better frame of reference for what's going on in the email I'm about to read you about some guy's uncle. And it's really, really, really cool. But hang on one second on that. First and foremost, the debt train is a coming. It is. And look, okay, we'll set aside the debt. I understand it bores some people. $28 trillion, you can't even make any sense of it. Inflation does make sense to you. How are your gas prices looking? How are your grocery prices looking? I know you're feeling it. I'm feeling it. Hear me out now. The time to take precautions and protect the wealth you've earned is now. Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Call Oxford Gold Group today. They do something really cool. It's not paper. Don't put paper in your hands. They put actual gold and silver in your hands. They will help keep your wealth safe. 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. Oxford Gold Group has promised they will take good care of my listeners. Tell them Jesse told you to call. 833-995-GOLD. Protect what you've worked so hard for. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com It is the Jesse Kelly Show. We've got some cool emails here for you. I've got some podcast reviews. We have Blake Masters running for Senate in Arizona, and we really, really, really need him to win coming up in 10 minutes. And right after Blake Masters is what I've been promising you. You want a story about running out on someone when the chips are down? A a story about somebody you know? I'm going to tell you a Mike Pence story in about 20 minutes on this show, one I promise you've never, ever heard before, and one that is going to be making the rounds. So don't run out just yet here on the Jesse Kelly Show. Back to this cool email. I set up all the Baton Death March stuff real quick because I got an email. Sometimes we get some of the coolest emails. I mean, not all the time. Some of you suck, but a lot of these emails are good. What, Chris? Good morning, Doctor. Like any sane person, I enjoy your history talks and your Medal of Honor Mondays. Your story from yesterday about the difference of using bayonets reminded me of one of my Uncle Lewis Reed's time on Bataan. From his memoirs, we moved up the line on the flanks of Mount Samat between the two Philippine Army divisions. Just a a heads up. 
there was a gigantic army on the peninsula where they were trying to hold, or the gigantic mountain on the peninsula where they were trying to hold off the Japanese, and we were integrated with the Philippine units, and the part of the problem was the Japanese were so good at jungle infiltration, they just kept getting through the lines and just causing havoc. Anyway, back to my story. Under extremely heavily artillery, under extremely heavy artillery fire and constant bombing and strafing from air, the Philippine army divisions on our flanks disintegrated. They simply disappeared. Not long after that, our units became disorganized. And keeping that in mind, in, in keeping that in mind, this was a jungle situation. We just simply lost contact with each other. If you've been in the jungle, quick side note, you know what he's talking about. I've never fought in the jungle by the grace of God. I didn't have to fight in the jungle. I had to do training in the jungle. You simply can't see. You get lost not in 500 yards, in five steps. You can't see anything. You don't it's so thick you just you don't know what's going on around you. It's part of what made the Pacific War such a nightmare. Anyway, not long after that, our units became disorganized, and keeping that in mind it was a jungle situation, we simply lost contact with each other. I found myself in a tiny clearing surrounded by bushes and Japanese soldiers. It was almost dark, and I could hear them jabbering all around me. I knelt with the butt of my rifle against the ground at an angle with fixed bayonet, hoping they would all go by without spotting me. Suddenly, with a loud cry, a jab jumped out of the bushes at me and landed squarely on my bayonet. It scared the heck out of me. I jumped up, pulled the bayonet out, and discovered that the others were alerted. The next thing I knew, I was stuck in the side with the Japanese bayonet. I fell to the ground, and the Japs, apparently thinking I was dead and also apparently in a hurry, all took off. I did not see, it did not seem to hurt badly, but it was bleeding quite a bit. I tore off a piece of my shirt and stuffed it into the hole. That stopped the bleeding. Gosh, those were men back then. Anyway, he told me that during the defense of Bataan, he'd almost certainly killed enemy soldiers, but at a distance. It didn't affect him like the one who died on his bayonet. He survived. Get this. Get this, dude. He survived the death march, the hell ships. Oh, man, I need to do a show on the hell ships. My next history segment might be on the hell ships. I'll tell you about it later on, Chris. You're going to have to stay tuned like everyone else. And working as a slave laborer in the mines for Mitsubishi on the home islands. He was overcome with emotion as the USS Rescue came within sight of the Golden Gate Bridge in October 1945. He lived a long life, but not quite long enough to watch me get married to a Japanese woman. He would have laughed, and he even put a picture in there of his uncle, Louis Reed. Louis Reed, rest in peace, sir. That is quite a life. That's thinking awesome. And thank you. I'm not going to give out your name. She didn't tell me I could, but thank you for that email. We love emails like that into the Jesse Kelly Show. Remember, the podcast reviews, they have to be, well, this is a pretty good one. The most handsome part of talk radio. As, as a smart, handsome dude, I really appreciate the opportunity to listen to another smart, handsome dude engage in thought-provoking discussion. What, Chris? In fact, this show is so thought-provoking that it made one of my ugly friends more handsome. <laughs> uh, the show I look forward to most every day. Aside from his nearly superhuman good looks, which he's right about, Chris. Jesse is incredibly entertaining and keeps you coming back daily to hear his often unique take on current events. 
I heard Jesse on Dave Smith's Part of the Problem podcast. Dave's a good guy. i got to get him on the show again. And immediately became a regular listener. Jesse's stories often make me laugh out loud, and I have to share them with my wife, who also gets a kick out of them. What I love maybe most, however, is his telling of history stories. He's one of the few I've ever found that really makes history come alive and how relatable events of the past are to what we experience today. I will tell you this. Uh, as you know, I'm a very, very, very arrogant human being, but I didn't ever think of myself as a storyteller at all. But I hear this all the time now. I hear this all the time from listeners. I hear this from these big shot radio executives now, ever since we got signed to this, you know, huge, the show's huge now. I hear this all the time from people about the storytelling. And I don't think I could teach anybody how to do it because I don't necessarily consider myself one. But since other people do, I will simply say where I think people make mistakes when they tell stories. And I'm talking to you when you tell stories to your friends. Or if you're a teacher talking to your classroom, or maybe you're starting a podcast or whatever the case may be, when people tell stories, they do two major, major, major things wrong. One, you put too many details in your story. And that actually ties us into two. And when I say too many details, you'll never hear me do that when I'm telling you a story. Well, Major Robertson got with Colonel Johnson, and Colonel Johnson got with Sergeant Major Masters, and Masters was talking. You already don't know who I'm talking about. You're already lost. It's too many names. On October 1st, 1941, this group moved, but then on November 7th, 1941, you're, you're already lost. Set the details aside. The details are not, they're not important. If people want to nerd out on those, they'll go nerd out on those and get the specific details. Let, let that go. One, the details. Two, if you, find, if you want to be a better storyteller, I will simply tell you this. Don't talk at people. And what I mean by that is you're not above somebody educating them on something. Allow me, Master Jesse, to educate you on the Baton Death March. Sit there, child, while I talk to you. You're not talking at somebody. You're talking to somebody. So put them in the story. People are bad at telling stories because the, they make the storytelling process about them, about how smart they are and how many details they know. And you sit there and shut up and listen it's about the person doing the listening, not the person doing the telling. Remember that. You'll be a better storyteller. All right, we got a guy running for Senate in Arizona next, and then after him, it's the Mike Pence story you've been waiting for. Hang on. With music that bad, that can only mean one thing. That means our next guest failed to pick a song. Therefore, he got the Spice Girls. Joining me now, running for Senate in Arizona, Blake Masters. Blake, I doubt you'll make that mistake again on the Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse, I told Chris to give me something good. You know, <laughs> he gives me the Spice Girls. <laughs> you know, Come you've got to be specific, Blake, or the rules oh. apply. I'm sorry, brother. I, there's nothing Fool I can do. Fool me once, never again. All right, no, brother. It's a guilty pleasure. We all love the Spice Girls. I have, I've run for office in Arizona. It's a state yes. we should have. It is a critical Senate seat for us, absolutely critical. You're an obviously extremely successful guy in the private sector. Why do you want to leave that and go run for office? Because I feel like we're losing the country. Um, you know, I know you see this too. 
it, it the left has taken over pretty much every single institution, uh, cultural, you know, certainly political. They're in charge now. Economic. It's uh, it's bleak. But I look around and I know no, so many normal, commonsensical, you know, God fearing just Americans in Arizona, and you know, it, it, we're. we're they don't represent us. Democrats don't represent who Arizona is. And so it's insane that we lost two Senate seats in just two or three years. I think I can win uh, and take it back and actually provide some leadership. Okay. I, I, I want to touch on that for just a brief moment. I know you probably don't want to spend a bunch of time looking back, but I get people asking me this all the time. How? How did we lose both Senate seats in Arizona in such a short period of time? What, what went wrong? Is it a blue state now? You know, it's not. People say it's blue or it's purpling, and it really isn't. Um, you know, it's about one-third Dem, one-third Republican, one-third independents. But those independents want to break right. They want to break right for the right candidate. Uh, in retrospect, you know, Martha McSally was not the, the right candidate. And look, she's, you know, she's a friend of mine. Um, I like her a lot. She's talented in many, many respects. She wasn't the right candidate in 2018, you know, narrowly lost to Kirsten Cinema, who say what you will. She's a talented politician. And then to, you know, the sort of establishment forces gear up and, and chose her again. And, you know, we, we saw how that worked out. So I think Arizona is still very personality driven. And I think the Trump 2016 America First agenda is still popular. That's what we have to run on. And I think the right person can win as a Republican in Arizona. I think you're right. Like, and I, and I the part of the reason I want you to win so bad is, I, I'm always disappointed in our senators, always disappointed in Republican senators. Not all of them, mind you. I have some that I think have really, really been outstanding since they got there. But the Senate is just – it's such a different animal. It's hard to get senators who will go and actually stand for what they're running on. They just don't do it. Yeah, and it's perplexing to me. I mean, I guess that is how it works. Uh, to me, it seems like you know, it's going to be hell to get there. It's going to be really hard. Um, you know, people put you and your family through crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff just to get there. So why would you want to do it just to fall in and fit in and listen to whatever the majority leader says or whatever? I want to go to shake it up. Um, to me, it's only worth it if I get to get in and actually, you know, run the right bills, actually uh, show leadership, you know, work with other people. Sure. But like, don't compromise. Um, to me, I'm in there to make waves and make change. So I don't I actually just don't get why people get in and just sort of go with the flow. Seems really boring. What's wrong with the Republican Party right now? Like, I, I, I understand it's our only avenue to fight back against the left, and that's fine. That's what we have. But why isn't why hasn't it been effective? What is the problem? Well, it's a split, right? There's an identity crisis. What is the Republican Party? And, uh, you know, Trump came and basically demolished it as we knew it. Uh, I, I think Paul Ryanism is dead. Mitt Romneyism is dead. There's no going back. Um, but what is it? And, and uh, you know, I think this is a chance to, to go and sort of remake the party, you know, run on a law and order platform, run on reshoring jobs so that we can actually have a middle-class economy again, and also resist the insane cultural pushes that the left makes. That seems to me like what the Republican Party uh, is, in the future, if we have any sort of party at all. Otherwise, it's just corporate tax cuts and sort of libertarianism all the way down. Meanwhile, society disintegrates. And, you know, I mean, I think we're just like 10 inches from careening off a cliff here, civilizationally, as a coherent, cohesive America. So I think the Republican Party needs to be remade. Um, and, and the old establishment types who just want to resist that, I think they're going to become increasingly irrelevant.
Blake, I'm glad you brought up the cultural stuff because I think it's so critical to us. And I think part of that is part of the concern people were worried about is the culture of the federal government itself, specifically DOJ and FBI. I mean, we want these to be organizations, you know, three-letter agencies above reproach. And it's looking more and more like they're becoming political arms of the Democratic Party. And that is a scary place for us to be, man. Yeah, I wouldn't even say becoming. Unfortunately, it was becoming, you know, a few years ago, and now it has become. Um, I mean, remember when we were kids, the FBI was cool. Yes. You know, you'd watch a TV show and the the three-letter jacket, and FBI was cool. And now it's, I mean, it's just an arm of the DNC, transparently political, not even effective at what it does. And it's, I think it's just been totally delegitimated in the eyes of normal, everyday Americans. That's a huge problem. But I think the next Republican president, I'll point it in 2024, uh, has to get in and just totally clear house at the DOJ, just totally clear house at the FBI. Um, you basically have to fire as many people as you can in those organizations and staff it well so that they can start the the slow work of rebuilding trust. Amen. Speaking with Blake Masters, he's running for U.S. Senate in a seat we need, Arizona, in a seat we can have. Blake, the Supreme Court, oftentimes our justices, now obviously we kind of have the numbers now if you're looking at them at Republican or Democrat, but our justices seem to get in there and simply lose their daggone minds. I understand you're not a Supreme Court justice, so maybe you can't speak to this, but why? What are we doing wrong in this vetting process? Because in the Senate, you'll be part of it. Yeah, I think part of it is just the cultural push, right? Like Supreme Court justices are all too human, and they want to be liked too. I mean, they read their press, and maybe it's a problem if you let the entire mainstream press establishment become uh, hyper left-wing. So... You know, we got to do a better job vetting. Less Roberts, you know, less certainly it's like Souter was the, the original mistake there, right? He just drifted so far left. Um, what we need more of are justices, you know, Thomas and Alito. And, you know, I think Justice Thomas becomes charmingly more sort of radical and committed to his originalist interpretation philosophy over time. Um, that's what we need. And, you know, it's like, remember when Josh Hawley was really grilling some judicial nominees, even mm-hmm. of President Trump's, and the Wall Street Journal lost their mind about it. Like, how dare you, uh, you know, just not accept in blind faith the Federalist Society's recommendations? How dare you, Senator Hawley, do your job independently? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's the exact kind of attitude we need. Each individual senator needs to really vet these nominees and make sure that we are getting someone more like an Alito or more like a Clarence Thomas. Oh, hey, man. Gosh, if we could just clone Clarence Thomas like 9,000 times, we'd be doing fine. <laughs> All right, Blake, what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, man, I'm going to an event here in Phoenix. Very excited to talk to a couple of uh, legislative districts. And, you know, I'm sure they'll have some, uh, oh, some warm bites there. You're on you the rubber chicken dinner is. circuit. That's what you Absolutely. are, the rubber chicken. I'm not yet sick of it, which uh, I think is a good sign. <laughs> what, Blake, give out your Talk website. Talk to me in a few months. My website is blakemasters.com. Please go check it out. We intentionally made it clean and easy to parse. I hate when you go on most candidates' websites, stuff just starts popping out at you. Volunteer here, donate here. You can't even tell what the candidates stand for. So none of that. Go to blakemasters.com. That's what I think. That's what I bring to the table. Blakemasters.com. Go there now. Blake, appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Jesse. Take care. All right. Now, I made a promise to you that I was going to tell you a story. 
a story nobody else on the planet could tell you, a story about me and Mike Pence and leaving when the chips are down. Why did I have a strong opinion about Simone Biles earlier today? You're about to find out next. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. You have waited long enough. It is time to get into my story. I told you I'd bring up the Simone Biles thing again. Again, I I just want to say this. I have this thing about running out when the chips are down. Maybe I got it from the Marine Corps. I don't know what it is. If you're the type of person, if you stay with me, if you hang with me when the chips are down, we are friends forever. I will forgive almost everything. Probably because nothing really matters to me. Except for if you run out on me when things go bad. If you, if I look in my fighting hole and you're not next to me anymore with the communist Chinese approaching and bayonets fixed, I will turn around and shoot you myself. I feel that strongly about it. You do not run out on someone when the chips are down ever in a million years. That's why I had the opinion I did about the Simone Biles thing. You want to quit? You want to cite mental health? You want to do all these things? Fine, whatever. That's your business. You don't quit on your team in the middle of the competition. Insane. Insane. And then get off the stage and say, it just wasn't wasn't as fun as it was. And mentally, I wasn't there. Tough. Go get through it. Now, if I sound passionate about that, I was passionate about this little thing, too, and this is going to take me a little bit, so buckle up. It's story time with Jesse. Ran for Congress. Long time ago, ran for Congress. And when I started running for Congress, I was pretty fresh out of the Marine Corps. Obama had just gotten elected. And as you know, nobody knew who I was. Well, part of the struggle when you're running for office is because nobody really knows who you are, you don't have any credibility. And not only do you not have any credibility, you can't raise any money because people don't want to throw their money away. I mean, why do you think, I, I mean, to my knowledge, have I ever come on the radio and asked you to donate to a, a charity or something like that? I don't. I haven't, at least not that I remember. If I have, I forgot about it. But And I don't do that because I don't care about any of them. I do that so you know if I ever present one to you, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's something I have vetted extensively. It's something that matters. And if I ever present it to you, it's a big deal. That's why I do it. Well, it's the same kind of thing when you're running for office. The exact same thing when you're running for office is there are so many people with their handout who are running for office. You're not just going to stroke a check to the first guy, some guy who walks in off the street, maybe gives a nice speech you like. You only have so much money to hand out. You're going to wait until someone you've heard of before or someone who's already raised a bunch. It's just when you first start running running for office, that's the most frustrating part. I will tell you, all you people who are writing me and telling me you're running, one, good, two, get through the first part of it. That's the toughest part. So in the beginning, what it is is a gigantic credibility seek. That's what it is. On top of running around to every 
Tom, Dick, and Harry Republican meeting I could, Rotary Clubs. I was at every VFW, American Legion. I mean, you name it. I was at all these places giving speeches, talking to these people. I also had to do this thing where I sought endorsements. Now, endorsements for the most part are kind of useless. Unless you're getting an endorsement from Donald Trump right now, if you're running as a Republican, that's a big deal. That might win the race for you. The most powerful Republican in America says, hey, I love Jesse Kelly. He's running in a primary and he's my guy. Now I'm the Trump candidate. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much a winner in most in most congressional races in the country. So I wasn't going to get anything like that. There was nobody like that who existed. I simply needed enough people, enough already known people to endorse me so it would give me enough credibility to get the campaign going and start raising money. So I start snapping up a couple things here, a couple things there. You know, the state senator here, a state representative there. And these are okay because they're known in Republican circles, but most people don't know their state rep or state senator. So these aren't the big-time credibility thing I need. What I really need is the local newspaper to trash me for getting some famous Republicans endorsement and building up my brand. It helped build up my brand if the local paper trashed me. So we knew we had to go back to Washington, D.C. for two different reasons. One, when you're running for Congress, you have to go back to D.C. to raise money. Not necessarily uh, dirty money either. You go back there and raise money from groups who are aligned with you. I always obviously did really, really well with any group that was strong on the border. I'm an immigration like hawk of hawk. So anybody who was strong on the border, that was going to be somebody they'd try to get me a meeting with this group and see, you know, hey, can you donate $1,000, $2,000, that kind of thing. And I'm so far right-wing, I did great with all the ultra-right-wing groups. I mean, if you want to slash every government agency, I'm probably going to be your guy. That's that kind of a thing. But even that's a slog in the beginning because no one knows who you are yet, and they only have so much money to spend, too. Again, everyone has their hand out. They're waiting for the guy with credibility. I really needed some major endorsements, and this is where I lucked out. A friend of mine, a friend of a friend kind of a thing, got to know Duncan Hunter Sr., not Junior, Duncan Hunter Sr. in California. You probably don't know who that is, but he was a big shot. He was the head of the House Armed Services Committee. That's a major, major deal. That makes him probably one of the top five most powerful people in Congress. It's a big deal. He was the head of the Armed Services Committee. He, I got to know him. He decided he loved me. Well, he still had some friends in Congress, some currently serving friends because he wasn't serving anymore. One of those currently serving friends was an Arizona congressman, man I love dearly. His name is Trent Franks. Trent Franks, again, it's not a name you know. Don't worry about this. You can look up all these people after. None of this matters. But just know he's one of the kindest human beings in the world and one of those guys who, if he's in with you, he's in with you. So Duncan asked Trent to endorse me. Trent asked a couple questions about my stance. Trent was, Trent was big on abortion. And I am pretty much the most pro-life person on the planet. So that was a match made in heaven. We got along well. And then Trent did more than just endorse me, write me a little check. He said, I've got a couple other friends in Congress I'm going to take you and introduce you to. And we're going to see if we can't get you some real support back here. One of those guys, his name is Mike Pence. He's the third ranking member in the House of Representatives. Come on, Jesse. Let's go meet Mike Pence. You know what happened next? I'll tell you in a second. 
It is the Jesse Kelly Show. Let's continue with our story in case you missed the the beginning of it. I'm not really going to recap much of it for you. Just know I'm running for Congress. I just started running for Congress. This is a long time ago. I'm not currently running for Congress. I was running for Congress. I needed help. I needed credibility. I needed it fast. I needed endorsements. I get to know Trent Franks through another guy. Trent Franks is a world-class human being. He wanted to do more than just give me an endorsement and blow me off. He genuinely wanted to help. Turns out Trent Franks was good friends with then the head of the House Republican Conference, Mike Pence. That is That makes him the third highest ranking member in of all the Republicans in Congress at the time. Trent Franks takes me to meet Mike Pence. I go shake Mike Pence's hand. Trent Franks says, I just endorsed this guy without me even asking. Because Trent Franks said, I just endorsed this guy. I loved him. He thinks so like we think, so on and so forth. Without me even asking, Mike, friend, Mike Pence looks me in the eye, shakes my hand, and says, Jesse, you can have my endorsement if you want it. I about fell down. I mean, this is the best moment in history for the campaign. Talk about credibility. One of the most powerful Republicans in America just endorsed me. Uh, I, of course, say yes, 100%. We go back to Arizona. We immediately put out a press release to all the local newspapers. This is what we had been waiting for. Mike Pence had endorsed Jesse Kelly. And, of course, the papers run with it. We throw it up on the website. There's, there's a picture of me with him. All right? This is all going to come back in a second. Hang on. Hang with me for a second. Now. That was at the beginning of the race, and I was the only person running. That was the beginning of the race. Then Barack Obama passes Obamacare, and people start taking a look at the poll numbers across America, and they're finding out, wow, Americans are really, really, really mad at Democrats right now. This might be a wave year for Republicans. So the race I was running against Gabrielle Giffords was previously thought to be not really one that was in play at all. All of a sudden, it looked like it was a toss-up. It was possibly winnable. Well, once the water gets warm, other people are going to start jumping in. Alas, there was a state senator who decided he wanted to jump in. I'm actually not going to give out his name. You can go look all this stuff up. It's fine. I just He's a good dude, and I don't feel the need to blast him. <laughs> I, just don't, I don't want anyone sending him hate me. He was a good dude. But, yeah, it's a good thing. So he decides he's going to jump into the race. Now, he not only jumps in the race. I've told you this before. He has all the mega Republican donors in his pocket because he's a McCain guy. And John McCain at the time really ran the state, really ran the state's major donors. He throws a fundraiser for himself opening night after after joining and raises over $500,000. I've been in the race like six or seven months. I hadn't raised that much in total yet. I think I was in the 400, something like that. It was a big deal. You raise half a million in one night, it's a big deal. All of a sudden... My team gets a phone call, gets a phone call from one of Mike Pence's guys saying, hey, uh, Jesse needs to take that Mike Pence endorsement off the website. Mike Pence never endorsed Jesse. My team, they were there when he did it, so they laughed him off and kind of laughed him off, hung up on it, only they don't stop. They keep calling. Eventually, they're calling the local newspaper 
the one that had written about me, telling them, Mike Pence never endorsed Jesse. Mike Pence has never met Jesse. You know what happened. What happened was Mike Pence got a phone call after this state senator jumped in. And this state senator was supposed to clean my clock because I was unknown and he was really popular. And he got a phone call saying, you back the losing horse. And at a moment when the chips were down, and believe me, we found out he raised $500,000 in a single night. The chips were really, really down. Mike Pence turned and ran away. Now, I eventually beat the wheels off of his boy, crushed him in a primary, and I guess I should tell the full story, since I just told you one no one's ever heard before, I guess I should tell you the full story to his credit, if we're going to say that. He invited me to his office, Mike Pence did next time I was in D.C., and apologized to my face. But that's not something I forget. That's why I was hard on Simone Biles earlier. It's not the quitting. It's not the mental health things. I know people go through that, especially gymnasts. It's such a brutal sport. It's not any of that. It's the walking out on your teammates when the chips are down. That's the part I don't get. That's the part I'll never get. That's the part I'll never defend. Not in a million years. I think it's insane. You know what else you can't defend? Here's what else you can't defend. Gavin Newsom. Chris, do you have this clip of Gavin Newsom? Now, I should say, full disclosure, I uniquely despise Gavin Newsom for a couple different reasons. One of the reasons is legit. The other one is so petty, I shouldn't even admit it to you. The legitimate reason I despise Gavin Newsom is he took a place I consider to be paradise. And if you've never spent any time in California, you don't realize that it's paradise. It is. He took paradise and he helped them ruin it. They're ruining a state that is just beautiful. It is a national treasure, California should be. And these scumbag communists ruined it. That's the non-petty reason I hate Gavin Newsom. The petty reason I hate him is there's something about that swarmy, slicked-back-hair college boy that makes me physically ill. I just have never met one of those guys and liked him. Every single one of those guys I meet, I have fantasies about punching him in the throat. Now, I don't do it, but I'm thinking about it the whole time. So when Gavin Newsom speaks, especially when he says stupid things, well, I have to put that on you too. Chris, you're such an idiot. That was Chris playing that Joe Biden clip that I still can't tell if it's real. All right, let me full disclosure. You can play it again, Chris, and let everyone decide it for themselves in a second. There's a clip going around with Joe Biden. He's obviously under a plane or a helicopter or something. That's why the audio quality is so bad. A reporter says something to him, and Joe Biden, everyone is saying Joe Biden said to the reporter, my butt's been wiped. Now, I, I simply refuse to believe that's true. I don't, I don't know what else to say, but look, Chris, play it a couple times for him. You decide, not me. That's what they say he's saying. What must be what? What must be what? What must be what? <laughs> All right, Chris, you've had your fun now. Could you play the clip I wanted, please, of Gavin Newsom, or is that too much to ask? Play it. 
And with all due respect, you don't have a choice to go out and drink and drive and put everybody else's lives at risk. That's the equivalent of this moment with the deadliness and efficiency of the Delta virus. You're putting other people's, innocent people's lives at risk. Again, I'm going to ask the question, and I asked it last night, and I keep asking it of all these people, and I can't ever get an answer from anyone, and it's making me suspicious you don't have a good answer. And it's a simple question. I'm a simple man. I don't know how to ask complicated questions. If the vaccination keeps you from getting coronavirus, why are you worried about me? I mean, look, Peter Ducey asked it at the White House press conference, press, uh, White, asked it of the White House press secretary. I didn't hear a good answer. The vaccines work, which this sign says that they do. Then why do people who have had the vaccine need to now wear masks the same as people who have not had it? Because the public health uh, leaders in our administration have made the determination based on data that that is a way to make sure they're protected, their loved ones are protected, uh, and that's an extra step given the transmissibility of the virus. I'll ask again. If you got the vaccine and you believe the vaccine protects you from coronavirus, why do you care if anyone else got the vaccine? What does it matter to you if the whole world gets coronavirus? Shoot, the whole place will be yours. Can nobody answer this question for me? Oh, and I'm not quite done yet. We have more Dr. Fauci. You'll love this. Hang on. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. And look, I understand these people who defend Simone Biles. I, I, I get that. And I'm not mad at you at all either. Look, people naturally want to love America's gymnasts anyway because they're adorable. They're adorable. Who doesn't love America's gymnasts? They're America's sweethearts every Olympics. And she's, you know, been so successful. And it's not like I think she's the Antichrist. I'm just saying. She's given press conferences today after pulling out saying things like, uh, sometimes you just have to focus on yourself after yanking out on your team in the middle of a competition. That's not something I forget. But here is another reality of life that I get, that I totally get. All of us, you, me, the guy across the street, the capitalist and the communist, all of us, you know what we do? We defend who we like. We defend who we like we don't defend people we don't care about. People like Simone Biles, therefore they feel the need to defend her today. That's universal. You know, if it, look, we've used the example before. My kid gets caught smoking pot or something bad like that. I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk myself and the wife into the fact that it was probably a one-off thing. I'm sure he's never done that before. You know who it was? It was that scumbag friend George of his. I always knew George was bad news. I bet he practically forced my boy to smoke weed. George gets caught smoking weed. What do I say? <laughs> that little scumbag. I knew it. I knew the neighbor boy was always bad news. They should send him to prison now. Get ahead of it. I mean, look, you would do it with me. And I get that. It's human nature. I knock off work right now. 
and I chug a, uh, a, a liter of vodka on the way down to my truck to drive home and wrap it around a tree, I mean, just do something stupid, whatever, something inexcusable. Tomorrow, story would come out. It'd be national news. Jesse Kelly gets DUI. He's in the hospital with half a leg left or something, whatever the story would be. Lots and lots and lots of people would defend it. I mean, it's not a defensible action. You defend it anyway because you like me. Now, granted, most of the left would be celebrating. (laughs) They'd be dancing in the streets. But you defend people you like. You don't defend people you don't like. If that was Colin Kaepernick pulling out of a competition in the Olympics, screwing his teammates over, universally, everybody on the right today would be dogpiling him. Every single person. Because you hate him because he's a scumbag. You like Simone Biles, so you defend it. Doesn't make you a bad person either. It makes you a human being. It's what we do. We defend what we like. And I'll be honest, just as long as we're having total honesty tonight, I told you I was going to give you a cool story. As long as we're having total honesty tonight... I do this to a fault. I'm telling you right now, I'll defend my friends till I die. I will. I will defend the people who are my people endlessly. And I have so many friends who are pundits. I have a bunch of guys I know who are politicians. I quite frankly don't like most of them, but I have a bunch of people I know, but I have a bunch of friends who are pundits and I see them say stupid or horrible things publicly all the time. Now, privately, I may shoot them a text. I'm not going to call them because I'm an adult who knows you don't call people. But anyway, I'll send them a text. Send them something by text message. Hey, you sure about this? You want to talk about Or or, you know me. I'll just flat out call them names. Hey, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Privately, though. Privately. And people will get on there and they'll say, Jesse, why don't you call out this person in public? I'll be honest. He's my friend. I've told you this before and I meant it. If I found out uh, tomorrow my son was a murderer... I wouldn't turn him in. I wouldn't. And I'm not saying I'm right for that. I'm not saying that's a morally correct position. I'd want him to turn himself in. But if he didn't want to, well, son, get in the car. We're going to Mexico. See what we can do here. Sorry. That's how I feel about my people. All right, I promised you a Fauci clip. This is a little long, so I may cut in. But it was a video someone put together. Chris, see if you can find who put this together because it most definitely wasn't us where they were playing all the Fauci flip-flops, the endless Fauci flip-flops. Listen to this. This is why people are so cynical now and why they don't trust the system. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course. And- you do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. But good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If in fact you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. 
the 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 pediatric the academy of pediatric okay that's that, I, I think you get i think you get the general gist of it there this is why people don't trust anything this is why they don't trust anything because nothing makes sense at all have you seen the new cdc guidelines have you seen these the new cdc gui- guidelines today say k through 12 kids they are requiring every one of them wear masks regardless of vaccination status. They just did it to us again. So my question is, to my more gullible friends on the right, how many more times are you going to keep chasing this carrot before you just start saying no? 15 15 days to slow the spread. Shut down your small business. That answer right then should have been no. Because 15 days turned into 30, turned into 60, turned into Easter, turned into a year, turned into wait for the vaccine, turned into wait for a high enough percentage on the vaccine. And now, of course, we're hearing vaccine booster shots might be necessary. There's a new variant out there. Oh, wait, you thought the vaccine was going to turn you loose? No, 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 no. Still wear 19 masks. I now have 19 stories in front of me about people getting coronavirus after they've been vaccinated. They're saying you can spread coronavirus after you've been vaccinated. Now, I'm certainly no medical expert, and I don't claim to be. I have almost three years of community college credits, though, and I thought the vaccine was supposed to help with that. But again, people convince themselves. They convince themselves because they want it to be true that all this is going to be over. All this madness is going to be over. So people, several people, even on the right, maybe you've done it. If you've done it, that's fine. Okay, I'll wear a mask forever. Okay, I'll get the vaccine. Okay, I'll get 90 vaccines. Okay, I'll I'll get a vaccine passport. I'll do whatever you want. You just have to understand this isn't about coronavirus. This is about control. How do I know it's about control? I'm going to prove it to you without a shadow of a doubt next. Hang on. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, and listen, Joe Biden, the CDC, none of these people actually care about coronavirus. They're not actually worried about it, and I'll prove it to you. It's all about control. It's not about coronavirus. How do I know? Here's a headline from Axios. 50,000 migrants released into the U.S. without a court date. That is a tiny fraction of how many who've been released into the U.S. this year. Would you like to know where they go? Do you have any idea? Well, there are a bunch of charities set up. Lots of them are Catholic charities set up. The government knows about these charities. The government will take a bus full of illegal immigrants, drop them off at this charity. The charity will then find them work, put them up in hotels. Where are they doing this, you ask? Everywhere in the country. They'll drive them clear up to Chicago. They'll drive them up to Minnesota. They're dropping these people all over the country. Not vaccinated people. Not all tested people. They're taking them into the country by the thousand. And they're dropping them off everywhere. The Biden administration's open border policy is proof positive. They are are not even slightly concerned about coronavirus. 
Not even slightly. Maybe, maybe, maybe Adam Kinzinger's concerned, though. You know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. And look, setting aside the show trial portion of that that we talked about earlier, this is all one big show trial. It was all written like a Hollywood script. They're already digging up all kinds of dirt on every one of those Capitol Police officers. Surprise, surprise, they have a bunch of anti-Trump stuff in their past. What a shock. Setting all that aside, how embarrassing is it that we as a nation have this many men in our country who think it's a good thing to cry on national television? And I'm not, remember, I'm not anti-cry guy. I'm not a big crier. I realize that. I know you're going to find that shocking, but I've cried. You're buried dogs and stuff like that. I've cried. It's natural. But it's not something you brag about. It's not something you advertise. It's something you hide from your old lady when you tear up watching Rudy. You don't go on national TV and force yourself to sob. How embarrassing. How profoundly embarrassing. Let's get to some emails. Hi, Jesse. Huge fan. BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors basically admits she's pushing communism on a video. Says things like, I do believe in communism. We were taught to learn about the systems that are criticizing capitalism. She's come out and said that uh, they are trained Marxists. I tried to explain this to everybody. Again, this goes back to my original point about America being emotional now because we're not run by strong, sober-thinking men. The whole country is run by women and effeminate men. I tried to explain this in the wake of St. George Floyd's death when Black Lives Matter was marching all throughout the streets and everybody had a Black Lives Matter shirt on and you had to have a black picture up on Instagram and every Tom, Dick, and Harry corporation in America was Black Lives Matter this and Black Lives Matter that and Black Lives Matter commercials. They're painting Black Lives Matter on the streets and on the NBA courts. I stepped up when everyone else was going along with it and said, this is not, this is not some civil rights group. This is a group of violent street communists trying to bring down America. What's wrong with you idiots? Can't you read past the name? But to, to their credit, Black Lives Matter did pick the greatest name ever. Because who wants to say they don't? Are you saying Black Lives don't matter? It was the most brilliant, simple branding in political history. Black Lives Matter. Of course, when you click on the website, they have things on their mission statement. At least they used to. They took it down now about destroying the nuclear family and all these radical cultural Marxist goals. But people don't, they don't calm down and think. The GOP is just as guilty, too. I'm not even blaming the Democrats. You've heard me yell about it a million times. I'm not going to do it right now. Right in the wake of all that madness with cities burning and blaming cops and defund the police, this, what the GOP do? Huh? Can somebody get Tim Scott? We need police reform now. Gosh, that's so embarrassing. Dear Dr. Steele, it's an honor to be able to email such a handsome and humble person. I know it is. I know. What, Chris? I also love the fact that your show breaks everything down in layman's terms for those of us who didn't have the privilege of going to community college. But I have a question. My wife and I, along with our two kids and one on the way, live in Washington State. 
We're worried what's going to happen with this new administration and sell our house and move somewhere more red. We like West Virginia because the housing prices are great and heard it's one of the reddest states. We did like Texas, but so many Californians moved there recently. And with the border being open, we don't think it's a good idea. What would you recommend? Well, one, a man has to provide. I'll say this much. You got to go where the work is. Now, I'll just assume you either work from home or you have your own business. You're starting somewhere else. So I'll assume that there are states out there that are seriously, seriously underrated states. I'm not going to say Florida because everyone knows about Florida now. I mean, everybody, everyone's flocking to Florida now. Florida ain't the only state out there that shares your values. One, West Virginia is not a bad call. We used to go visit there all the time when I was a kid. People think of West Virginia as some backwater dump. West Virginia is beautiful, and it's really cool. And the Appalachian Mountains are really, really cool. You would enjoy West Virginia. You would enjoy West Virginian people. I love Alabama. You ever been to Alabama? Alabama is a really, really, really cool state. Alabama is a cool state, and they share your values. Birmingham? Birmingham is one of the coolest cities in the United States of America. I love Birmingham. In fact, I need to go back and visit Birmingham sometime soon. Alabama's the bomb. Absolute bomb. Plus, your sons will thank you when they grow up and date a southern dime with one of those Alabama accents. Oh, gosh, there's nothing better than that. But in all seriousness... Alabama is an underrated state, but there are a bunch of them out there, depending on what kind of weather you can handle. You're from Washington State, so you know a little bit about the cold. Montana's beautiful, man. If you can handle the winters, Montana's beautiful, and they're moving right and moving right quickly. Uh, Let me see where else. South Carolina's a really, really, really cool state. Charleston may be the coolest city in the United States of America. Charleston's really cool. I would say Georgia, because I've always loved Georgia so much, but the daggone state went blue because the idiots kept inviting California, Hollywood Californians in there to Atlanta, and they turned the state blue. Well, kind of. I don't know. We're, we're checking on the election as we speak. Dr. Jesse, yesterday you mentioned going out for mini-golfing for a date. I thought we'd en- you would enjoy the story I have. Several years ago, I was taken out on a second date, which was mini-golfing. The dude was an infantry Marine like yourself, He was there during the invasion and suffered many injuries from being in close proximity to IED explosions. We had just got our mini golf clubs and he'd just gotten done telling me how his left eye was badly damaged from one of those explosions. He had just had surgery on it a couple weeks prior. Right then, I swung my club up in my hand and clocked him right in that very eye. (laughs) It may be the most embarrassed I've ever been. I, too, have been hit in the head with a golf club before by my sister, Mickey, when I was a kid. And I swear she says she didn't. I swear she did it on purpose. All right. That's enough of that for now. I'm going to sleep well again tonight. You know why I'm going to sleep well again tonight? Because I am drowning in my pillow stuff. I have my pillow pillows. My wife has my pillow pillows. We have my pillow sheets, my pillow mattress toppers. We have my pillow everything. And maybe the best thing, the my pillow towel set. They have this all USA cotton my pillow towel set and I have a deal for you right now. You see it's normally $109.99, which is a chunk of change. I mean, it's a great quality towel set, but that's a chunk of change. Now, for my listeners, 
$39.99. But you have to go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code JESSE. MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials, use the promo code JESSE. $109, now it's $39.99. That is what I call savings. MyPillow.com, promo code JESSE. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com It is the Jesse Kelly Show as we wind down for one final segment. Don't think we're slowing down around here. I understand it is my duty, Chris, to... Well, I'm the Shogun, so it's my job to lead the masses. <laughs> oh, shut up. All right, back to the emails. Jesse, I've been listening for about a month now, and I love the show. I work overnight, so I start my wacky morning with you at 9 p.m. Thank you for being the only radio host, or radio host covering David Chipman and providing the most annoying but epic radio teases. <laughs> you are my new best friend. Are my teases annoying, Chris? I don't understand why. What's wrong with what's wrong with the little tease? You know what? A little tease is a good thing. It is a good thing. Anticipation, baby. Anticipation. You know, the wife sent me quite a spicy text message earlier. You know what it said? It said, don't eat because I'm making spicy Italian sausage sandwiches tonight. Yeah. Talk about anticipation. You're lucky I could sit here and do the show. I've just had drool coming out of my mouth. It's that bad. It's that bad. I'm choking on it right now. Jesse, I know that no one can fill the shoes of Rush, but you were as close as it comes. Oh, not with this again. I tried all the other big ones, and I'm so glad you have the night spot here in Utah. I never miss a show, and hear your take. Uh, always spot on. Thank you. Again, thank you for the kind words. You get one Rush Limbaugh in your life. You will never have a second one. I am not him. I'll keep doing the best I can do. I see your dear Oracle Steel Sombrero. It is important to note, or I see your comments about women in the military. It is important to note that the lowering of admission standards doesn't just affect women getting in. I'm a police officer in a large city, and this past week I dealt with one, a suicidal army vet with PTSD who never deployed and never saw combat, two, arresting a guy for public intox getting set to enter the Navy who literally sobbed all the way to the booking, and three, arresting a current Army soldier who punched two women and then cried like a beep all the way downtown. You're right. We're going to lose the next war. He said I can say his name. His name is Heisenberg. Look, I'm guessing that, by the way, I'm guessing that's a Breaking Bad reference with the Heisenberg. If it's not, what a small world. Anyway. Admission standards have been going down. And this is why it drives me nuts when I talk about women being in frontline combat units. And I say they shouldn't be there. And you'll inevitably get somebody who's trying to walk that fence because that's what people do now. They don't want to offend anybody. And they'll say something like, as long as, the, as long as they pass all the tests, they should be allowed in. That's not real world. The real world is this. As soon as you say, hey, let's allow women in, then politicians will get involved 
and make dang sure the tests get reduced. How do I know this? It has happened every single time in every single unit where this has taken place in the military. Why do people find this so shocking and offensive? You're not equal. We're not equal. Equality is a lie. It is a lie you have been told time and time again. And men and women aren't equal either. Women are physically weaker than men. That's not an insult to them. That's how God made them. They don't have the muscle mass. They don't have the lung capacity. They don't have the hips. They don't have the back for it. I mean, some women have the hips, but let's not go into that right now, Chris. But in all seriousness, you're not built for it. The body's not built for it. It's going to break down. The only way to allow a less physical person into a more physical profession is to lower the standards. And look, I've just been telling you naval stories. I don't even tell you stories from my Marine buddies. Humping all their gear all over the place all the time. The disastrous office drama all the time. I, you know what, no, I can't tell that story. There's a story I could tell you right now about, remember how they made me be a military policeman for about six months? It's called the Provost Marshal's Office in the Marine Corps. They had a school in the base I was in, in 29 Palms, California. They had a school there. It was a co-ed school. So just think of the barracks as dorms. I mean, they're not quite as nice as dorms, but they're, they're dorms. So you have a gigantic co-ed dorm right out here in the middle of the Mojave Desert, about 400, 500 boys and girls there, 17, 18, 19 years old. You understand how forward I am on the show and how many, how many stories I've told you about horrible things I've gone through and whatnot. I give you all the details, right? I have a story about something that was going on with a young lady in that school that I cannot share on the air or this would be my last time on the air. And there were several stories like this. Several stories like this. That's not because women are bad. It's not because men are bad. It's because biology doesn't lie. You get a bunch of 17, 18, 19-year-old men and women together, force them to work in close proximity, things are going to happen. Once those things happen, drama happens. Once drama happens, you're focused on a million and one different things except for training to kill the commie Chinese. That's a fact. All right, let's get to headlines I didn't get to. CDC to recommend masks for some vaccinated people in certain situations. Yeah, like I I talked about earlier. Okay, so the vaccine doesn't work or it does? The vaccine doesn't work or it does? Can anybody give me a straight answer? And here's probably a better thing to say when when it comes to that. Who could give you a straight answer right now that you would trust? Who? Name the person in this country who would give you any coronavirus guidance that you think you could trust all the way. How many times have you been lied to? By everyone. It's not even just Democrats. Democrats, Republicans can't figure it out. CDC was issuing eviction moratoriums. I know we're not trusting Dr. Fauci. Surely we're past that point in time. You're going to trust Dr. Burks? Remember the one who told you not to travel and see your family for Thanksgiving because it was too dangerous? And then promptly got on a plane and traveled to see your family? (laughs) I don't trust any of you people. Activists demand white parents pledge to not send kids to the Ivy Leagues. This is one of the ritziest areas of Dallas where this is happening. Not only are they sending out letters demanding parents not send their kids to Ivy League schools, they've already announced, and this group is called Dallas Justice Now, 
they've already announced they're going to be publishing a list of names of any parent who didn't sign the pledge agreeing not to send their kids to Ivy League schools. Maybe we needed some bold men last year when Black Lives Matter was starting to rise up to tell these violent, vile street communists to pipe down. Maybe instead of spending a year enabling them, we should have told them to go back to their holes where they belong. How about that? That's all.